about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. So I'm really excited about that. I've got David and Kamina behind me. I'm going to join them in a moment. But we're going to read from God's Word. And the first reading from Seb has a lot of parts to it because we're kind of, you're kind of getting the Daniel medley. So it's lots of snippets of Daniel. So you'll have a sense of the whole thing. So see if you can follow along every passage. Thank you, brother. Hi, I'm Seb. Uh, obviously, we're going to read a few different things tonight um, as we are doing the panel. Um, But I thought we'd just take a moment just to uh, acknowledge that Daniel is a very complex book uh, of miracles and visions. So I might just give us a bit of silence, one just to find our page, uh, page 719 in your pew Bibles, but also just to settle ourselves after supper, just to focus our mind on God and how he speaks through his servant of uh, Daniel in the passages we're about to read. From Daniel 1, 11 to 20. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds, of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding, about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. From chapter 2, 19 to 23. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. From 46 and 47, same chapter. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour, and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. For you are able to reveal this mystery. From chapter 3, 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. 
that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And from 28 in the same chapter. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and are willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Turn to me now, please, with chapter 7. Um, here we see, although Daniel is a political captive in his own time, uh, he has a great vision uh, of God as the eternal ruler in his kingdom. From chapter 7, 9 to 10. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands on thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. From chapter 9, 3 and 15 and 16. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Finally, uh, in chapter 12, um, Daniel gives us a vision of God's rule over life and death through the resurrection to come. Please turn with me to chapter 12, 1 to 4, and uh, the last verse 13 there. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Our second Bible reading is from First Peter, the page numbers on the screen there. Um, this is an excerpt from a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to Christians who were living among non-Christians. He calls them exiles. They were far away from the center of Christianity and Judaism, kind of scattered among what is now Turkey. Um, and he wrote these words of encouragement to them from verse 3 of chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay. Welcome, David and Kamina. Are your microphones on? That's a good thing to check right now. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Excellent. We're good to go. How about I pray and then we'll get launched into things. Our loving Heavenly Father, we pray as we've had Daniel opened before us, read in your word that, Father, we would find ourselves curiously diving into its depths as we talk and as we apply it to the life you've given us in the power of your spirit. Help us, Lord, as we talk, uh, grow us into the image of your Son. We pray for his glory. Amen. Now, we had a a number of questions come in uh, from the text line, uh, but I decided rather than go through question by question, it'd be more interesting to go through what are the two halves of the book of Daniel and kind of meander through both and see what gets thrown up and answer the questions along the way. There are two halves to Daniel. There's something on the screen that will show that a little bit. uh, one is the, the, the first kind of more Sunday school half, where full of stories about Daniel and his life, and then there's the trippy second half uh, with all the strange visions. Now, they're both part of the same book doing one thing, but we're going to kind of take them apart separately, one after the other, starting with the stories. But before we launch into that, guys, can you tell us, uh, you've been sitting hearing God's word uh, through Daniel, through our series and in small group. What has the Lord been teaching you? What has he been speaking to you from his word? Um, I am quite an anxious person, and I find the state of the world right now pretty upsetting on a daily basis, um, both in terms of political turmoil around the world and uh, the state of the natural environment. And I've been really comforted, I think, by... Um, just the reminder that God is God all the time in every situation. And Daniel was facing a really um, uncertain time for his people, uncertain future about what God was doing. And he just kept his head down and kept serving God. And I found that really encouraging. Mm. It's been the same with me. I feel like I'm in the year of transition. The world's really tumultuous. We're heading into a year of transition as a church as well. And my heart's been really settled in its anxiety, knowing that God's big, God's everywhere, God's always got things in hand. How about you, David? I think the things that uh, I've been reminded are the simple things that are the way to live in the world when uh, the circumstances seem quite beyond our control is to be patient in prayer and faithful in whatever circumstances God has placed us in, and wait for him to act. Love that. That's fantastic. Um, In the the first bit of our discussion, we want to have a chat about uh, the stories in the first bit of Daniel. Let me me run you guys through it so it's in your head. Uh, The stories, like on the screen, they pair up a bit. So chapters 2 and chapter 7, chapter 3, chapter 6, chapter 4, chapter 5. Chapter 1 is an intro. Daniel and his vegetables refusing to eat the meat, right? Uh, Daniel 2 is a vision about a statue of four kingdoms. Chapter 7 is a vision about four beasts, both being destroyed and God's kingdom coming. 
Chapter 3 is uh, people being thrown into the fire. Chapter 6 is Daniel being thrown into the lions, God delivering from both. And chapter 4 and 5 are God dealing directly with two kings. One is humble and lives. One is arrogant and dies. Right? So that's kind of the stories we're given in the first half of Daniel. And, and, and on the way through, you, you learn a lot about Daniel and the way he lives, and a lot of nuggets of wisdom kind of happen. Um, but Camille, you're, you're studying Old Testament, uh, PhD, this is your world, literary style in the Old Testament. What is it about these stories? They seem to stick. They seem to have this power to hold us and keep us. What, what, what's with that? Um, during this series, I've been struck by the fact that Daniel has a reputation as a really complicated um, and weird book, but actually the narrative is really strong and simple and memorable. Um, I like that we get these short little episodes that are really important in the life of Daniel and the court that he finds himself in. Um, I think they have really interesting, memorable details, like the vegetables in chapter one. Um, you've got, you know, the trial by fire. You've got the lion's den uh, in chapter six. Um, I think those things tend to stick in our minds. But I think the thing that I love about the story of Daniel is also it's in a different context than we're used to because... Um, Let's be honest, the Old Testament can be really repetitive because God is the same all the time and God's people keep making the same old mistakes. Um, but in the story of Daniel, uh, Israel's not, they're not on their home turf. Daniel is in this kind of foreign place um, and the rules are different. And so I think that makes these stories quite novel as well. Mm -hmm. But I think um, like the thing about Daniel is it turns out God is the same after all anyway mm -hmm. in the end. Um, but it's told to us in a way that's a bit different maybe than the way that we're used to receiving that message through the rest of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was reflecting on that and on our conversation the other day and thinking C.S. Lewis has this great essay about why he wrote kids' stories because lots of people complained that he wrote kids' stories and that was a bit demeaning for him to do that. And he says, you know, the reason why I write kids' stories uh, is because every human heart has two dragons guarding it. And when truth walks up, the, guard, uh, the, the dragons gobble it up or burn it to shreds. But when you tell a story, you can sneak past the watchful dragons into the human heart. Mm. And I, I find that's what happens to me when I read Daniel, is it just gets in there. I don't know about you, David. Do you find that with these stories? I think one of the things that stood out to me again reading through Daniel is how much God is in the third person mm. uh, in this story that uh, if Daniel didn't check in with God from time to time, uh, the story would appear to go on as if God wasn't there. Mm. It's much different to the other Old Testament stories where God is doing most of the talking uh, and it's, the story goes well if the people listen, the story goes badly if the people don't listen. Mm. Love that. It's interesting though because even though God is in the third person, our vision of God's really big through these stories. What, what do you see, David, in terms of the, the, the picture of God, his traits, what he looks like through those first set of stories? Well, I think the thing to uh, grasp there is that um, the setting is when a kingdom, when a king, possibly for one of the first times in human history, rules all the world, all of it. As far as anybody knows, the king of Babylon, the king of the Persians is the king of kings and the lord of lords. We usually associate that uh, title now with the Lord Jesus for good reason, and we'll come to that. But in Daniel's time, uh, 
uh, Xerxes and uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, they were, as far as anybody knew, the king of kings and lord of lords. And no one had ever been a king over so many kings. And no one's kingdom lasted all day because the sun rose on the kingdom and set on the kingdom. Uh, and it, so it seems like, well, God is, God is absent. Where is God? Where is the God of Israel uh, in these stories? Thank goodness we've got Daniel to go and check in with him. But apart from that, where is he? Um, what, what do you guys think then with Daniel? He's checking in with God. He prays. He's wise. We see him making wise decisions. We see him very judicious in the court setting. We see him uh, wisely answering dreams, moving the, the ball forward. Um, it, it's tricky with stories like Daniel to go, well, do I just be like Daniel? Like, do I get a WWJ, you know, DD wrist? <laughs> I can say JD. Um, and like, h- how do we apply these stories to us? without just doing that simple kind of moralism of eat vegetables like Daniel, be wise like Daniel, pray like Daniel. What do we do? Stay away from fires. Stay away from fires. <laughs> Watch out for lions. <laughs> <laughs> what, like, what do we, what do we, how do we avoid that trap? Um, I'll take this first, I think. Um, well, okay. Be like X is one of the most popular and most dangerous ways to read the Old Testament. And most of the time I would say, please don't do that. Um, But with that caveat, I think Daniel's one of the few times. Daniel, I think Daniel and Joshua, feel free to come up, um, not Joshua, Jonathan, feel free to come up and argue with me about this. But I think they're the only two guys in the whole Old Testament who have a significant role in the narrative and don't appear to put a foot wrong or suffer Mm -hmm. any kind of criticism from the biblical narrator. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't think of anybody else. I don't think that Daniel is really critiqued at all. His behavior seems to be exemplary. But the thing that those two guys both have in common is the way that they're framed, their function in the story is very much read through the lens of how they relate to God's plans and purposes. And I think that the way that Daniel is an example to us is not in that he's morally good or that he's diplomatic in dealing with the situation he's in, although those things are true, but that he just steadfastly trusts God and continues to worship him and won't be deterred from that purpose, even in the unfriendly circumstances that he finds himself in. So I'd say, you know, don't go on the Daniel diet and think that that is the way to honour God. Um but do be like Daniel in the way that he uh, is brave and just doesn't let anyone deter him from worshipping Yahweh properly. It's really interesting that because Daniel seems to defy some of our rules, like he transcends mm. our rules about applying the Old Testament sometimes and how that works. What do you think, David? How does this work for us? Well, Probably the place to begin with is that Daniel's not in Israel. He's not God's person in God's place, uh, superficially under God's rule. Uh, He's far away from home. Uh, And as I said, God seems to be very much in the background. Uh, And so a key thing about a book like Daniel and, say, a book like Esther is that the promises that God makes to his people, I will be your God and you will be my people, you will live in the land and I will bless you, they seem to be totally whack for Daniel. Uh, So one of the key things for him is to know who he is in relation to God 
and to live wisely out of context, mm. out of the context of Israel, out of the context of easy applications of the Old Testament laws. Where are you? He's with God. God is with him somehow, not as obviously as it was in Israel when you could go to the temple and say your prayers and offer sacrifices. But nevertheless, God is there. Uh, and Daniel prays towards Israel, as he should, as to, towards the temple. Uh, but he lives in that sort of uh, outside place mm-hmm. where the circumstances make the promises seem almost unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I think that what David's just raised helps us to see that in some ways uh, Daniel's situation is much closer or more of an analogy to ours than a lot of other Old Testament figures. Um, Because I think for Christians, we don't have our promised land in a physical sense like Israel does. We don't have a physical temple. Our temple is Jesus Christ. And so in one way that's comforting because it means it's a new way to live. God's spirit is always in us and we're united to him always. But in another way, we are almost, we're strangers in this land. We're sojourners in a a kind of non-Christian world. And there are no concrete rules for how to live out our worship in that in that sense, yeah. That's scary, isn't it, not having concrete rules? I find that really scary. I, I find it really helpful to, to think about how, and you raised this the other day, how mm. the back half of Daniel kind of draws us to Jesus because there, there are these images that seem to go straight to him and, and really we need Jesus to, to live without rules in the world. Like mm. we need our eyes on something. If there's no promised land, if there's no rules, we need our eyes somewhere and I feel like that Dan- Daniel kind of draws us to Jesus and say, well, fix your eyes on Jesus and then discern in the power of his spirit how to live. Um, and Daniel kind of gives us a bit of a shadow of that without fully being it. Now, let's, let's, let's leave that half behind. Let's move on to the, the second half, the visions, the crazy visions. There's in chapter 8, the, the, the two, there's the four kingdoms in chapter 7. There's the two kingdoms, the ram and the goat in chapter 8. In chapter 9, uh, Daniel prays toward Israel, confesses sin, asks for God to answer. And then some guy in linen shows up who's really powerful and bright. Michael thought that was Jesus. I'm not sure if it's Jesus or not. I think it might be an angel, but we're, you know that's, that's a thing. Um, and then in chapter 11, he announces how there'll be these other kingdoms that come up and war around Israel. And then there's a conclusion that basically doesn't conclude anything and just says, oh, there's some hope sometime in the future with a resurrection. It's a bizarre bit of scripture. Um, what, what do we do with all this imagery? Does it really help us? Now, now, David, you just wrote a book. This is your book. I get to do this. Uh, this is parading books in front of church day. And here's David's new book, The Last Things. It's all about God's future, which is brilliant. And I've had a look in the back, and Daniel's referenced... Uh, in chapter, Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 12. So what in Daniel, what in these visions, what, what, what does it tell us about God's future? Uh, well, as I said, uh, talking about the stories, God seems to be absent. Uh, but then Daniel starts having visions. And basically, Daniel's visions are God saying, I was busy running the universe. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I've been. Uh, and particularly... Uh, the vision that comes in Daniel chapter 7 actually dovetails into the stories of uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5. So when we get to Daniel chapter 7, that's a vision he had before he had to go into the lion's den. 
Now, that gives us some insight. Why did Daniel seem so chill when the ruler of all the earth, who he otherwise thought he was on good terms with, throw him to the lions? Because Daniel knows that God is running the universe and worse creatures than this king, God has them under control. The weird and wonderful things that happen in chapter 7 are a symbol and an analogy of how God is running the universe all the time. So if we kind of project those back into the early stories, that's the wisdom perspective that Daniel has when his friends have to uh, go to the trial uh, of fire. When the king says to them, look, if you don't uh, bow down and worship me, you'll be thrown into the fire, they go, all right, do your worst. We know that God is running the universe. If he saves us, that'll be great. If he doesn't, he's still running the universe. We're not really fussed about you. You're actually much smaller than you think. Mm. Fast forward a little bit. Daniel negotiating with the other satraps and other leaders, all that court intrigue. They trick the king into throwing Daniel to the lions. Daniel's like, yep, all right, we'll see. Because God is actually running the universe, not you, Darius the Mede. That's, pretty, that's a pretty potent thing, isn't it, to think for us about how Daniel 7 is that window, that revealing of this is how God runs things. And if you're in a place where he feels absent, where it feels like he's not around, where it feels like he's left the world to the dogs, that actually he is still, we see a vision of how he is running things. And we see in Daniel and the, the three amigos how to stand confidently. That, that's a brilliant piece of hope. Um, Camille, what are you reckon about that? How does this? How do these visions help us and our hope? I think um, it was interesting what you said. How Daniel kind of ends with no real end at all, um, and certainly not for Daniel. It's sort of like, oh, Daniel, well, you'll live for a while, then you'll die. Trust that you'll be fine. Um, but I think that when we we have the benefit of the whole of the Bible, and so we know where this reality is heading. Um, so I think, yep, that is really exciting. Not to say that there shouldn't have been hope in its original context when this was received, because I think absolutely um, that however you read these visions and whatever sense you make of the names and date, the dates and numbers and all those things and the symbols, um, it seems really clear that a whole lot of turmoil is going to happen and God is going to be victorious and those that are faithful to him will, uh, will have eternal life, mm-hmm. even though that concept hasn't been fully developed yet at this point in the story of the Bible. Mm, yeah. Great, that's really helpful. So, so we have on the table between the two halves of Daniel, we have this, this figure of Daniel who in, an, uh, in exile is turned toward God, checking in with God, and we have a picture of the God who runs the universe, this hope to inform that life. Let's ground this and think about what this life looks like. Now, one of you said this earlier, and I can't remember who said it, but one of you said, you know, Daniel has helped me think about how even though things are really hard and difficult and anxiety-provoking, I need to just get on with what's in front of me. I need to be engaged and continue. Well, how does Daniel help us with this kind of faithful engagement with what's happening, even when the world feels out of control? Do, you, do we want to go practical? Yeah. Because I've been thinking about this and that. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we might need to workshop it a bit then. Um, if we're going to talk about how Daniel is a practical example to us, if we can go to be like Daniel, that's all right. Um, 
I do think that I think that what Daniel seems to be called to by these visions is not um, not activism, not overthrowing the powers that be, uh, but trusting that God will overthrow those powers in His timing. And in the meantime, Daniel is just to um, trust and endure. Um, and I really like the way Daniel does that quietly. And when I say quietly, I don't mean that he keeps his faith a secret or that he's ashamed of it, but just that he um, uh, he doesn't make a fuss. Like when it's decreed that he can't pray anymore to his own God, uh, he doesn't stand up, he doesn't tweet what an indignation it is that he is no longer allowed to worship publicly. Um he just goes upstairs and keeps praying three times a day as usual until he gets in trouble. Um, and then he deals with the fallout of that. But he just refuses to be moved, um, but not in a way that's really rude or offensive to anyone, uh, just in a way that's quiet and diplomatic and steadfast. Like, okay, sorry that you feel that way about me worshipping my God, but I'm just going to keep doing it. I hope I don't, I don't want to cause a big fuss. He doesn't make a big fuss, um, but he refuses to, be, to compromise. Yeah. What's really interesting about that is it's not like he's slid into pacifism. Mm. He's still active. He's still Mm. active in terms of being engaged with his faith and in the world, and yet he's not antagonistic. Mm. It's an interesting space to be active but not just sliding into nothingness. I think that active but not antagonistic is a really helpful way maybe to, to conceptualize that. Yeah. I think the key thing in Daniel comes in chapter 7, and that is God's promise that judgment is coming. Mm. And that's what Daniel 7 is about, that at a certain point in time, God will step in and say, all right, enough is enough. This world actually belongs to me. Here is my king, not like any of these others that have been pretending. Here is my king. He is going to rule the world, and he will determine what is right and what is wrong, what is true, and what is false. And all the other noise and mess uh, and chaos will be ended. Mm. With that kind of perspective, Daniel has hope. And when you have hope, then you can act wisely because you know who you are and you know what time it is. But you can only do that if you hang on to the promise that God is going to judge the world and restore the kind of world that he wants with his special king mm. ruling over it for him. Mm. Yeah. What's so interesting about what you've said is how that vision of judgment leads Daniel to engage wisely with the world. Mm. It's not like, okay, judgment is coming, judgment will fall, God's king will be installed and reign forever. So I'm just going to hang back. It doesn't matter. I'll just go farm somewhere. He still is one of the highest political officials in the land, and he engages that faithfully and wisely because he has the clear-sightedness to know the ending. Well, you see that actually in the early stories. The early stories involve Daniel, a big king, or Daniel's friends and a big king, and God and the king getting woken up. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm the ruler of all I see, and I'm fantastic. Daniel says, well, no, not really. 
God is the ruler of all things and you can go and pretend to be a donkey for a few years until you work that out. Uh, Darius the Mede, let's all have dinner at my place. Hey, check out this great stuff I got from the Jerusalem temple. Let's have a few drinks. Aren't we great? God starts writing on the wall, uh, uh, uh. I'm actually the ruler of the universe. These things belong to me and you're out. This happens again and again and again and that's the kind of perspective that Daniel has uh, that enables him to actually, that's when he's being his wisest as a wise man for the king by saying to them, yes, you have much power, which God gave you, by the way, <laughs> and you have much rule, which God also has a boundary around, and that's the way to live. Only God can give you this perspective, says Daniel. Uh, you can take it well or you can take it poorly, but it's still coming. That just made me think of something I heard in a sermon a couple of years ago when the preacher said, um, this was at my old church, how would you live if you believe that Jesus was the king of every moment? And I wrote that in my day planner and reflected on that quite often. And I, I feel that that's what Daniel is doing. He knows that God is the king of every moment. And so every situation, he just faces it anew, but f putting that knowledge first that God is king in this situation and then acting in response to that. So for, for this beautiful family of church people heading into their Monday morning, what, what is it going to look like tomorrow to wake up with that on the planet, that God is the king of every moment, that Jesus is the king eternal, who will reign? What does it look like then for live, to live with wisdom and endure and engage tomorrow? What does that look like? Depends who you are and where you are. <laughs> <laughs> good, good answer. <laughs> I think it uh, means, uh, starts by asking the question, what does the Lord Jesus deserve mm. in this situation? with this person, friend, colleague, uh, employer, uh, someone who works for you. Thankfully, there are 27 books in the New Testament that can give you a great rule of thumb on what it is that Jesus deserves. Mm. And our job in acting wisely is to confront all those situations and just to keep asking, what does the Lord Jesus deserve here? Mm. I, I love the way Daniel is present fully to what is right in front of him in those moments in that way. I love how he's never, even though he knows the secret to the whole of history, he is present toward the dream that is in front of him and how to interpret it and the person in front of him. And I feel like that full engagement in the present honors our Lord who is king of that present as we engage it fully uh, for the sake of his name. And it's interesting how the endurance we're, we're called to uh, in Daniel is active in that way. We don't sit back and wait for God's future. We, we sit in the moment and engage the present in light of that future, confident that it's coming. And we don't succumb to the anxiety of our age that seems to think there's no secret to history, that there's no way forward, that there's no ending, that there's no resolution. We walk in tomorrow confident in the God who reigns. And wisdom is, as you said, knowing what time it is and engaging with that in the moment. Any last words for people as they head on out to their week? I just want to encourage you with what God has been encouraging me with through the book of Daniel, which is that he is God always, all the time, in every place. And we just need to get along with living for him. I think that's what Daniel did and that's what I have been trying to do and been encouraged to do. I think the thing to keep in mind is that as big and as majestic 
uh, and as holy as God is, and he is those things, he's already gone before you in the Lord Jesus. You'll probably fail tomorrow. You'll fail to be godly. You'll fail to be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful or self-controlled. But the Lord Jesus has gone before you already in those situations to ensure that God only sees you as holy and righteous and blameless in his sight. Amen. Let me pray. Let me pray. Oh, dear God, thank you so much for the book of Daniel. Thank you so much for revealing to us in the midst of what is as chaotic a world as is described in Daniel, that our Lord Jesus has gone before us. He has, you have overcome the world through and in him. And he will come and set things all, all things right. And Father, we pray as we walk out of here that your spirit would settle our hearts to know that he is the king of every moment. And that though we fail, his blood has made up for it. And we stand confident that one day we will rise, as promised to Daniel, to our allotted inheritance in your kingdom forever. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.